With that said, I want to ask you all a question this morning. Um, and it's a question that maybe resonates with you or maybe it doesn't. Um, but have you ever heard this phrase before or maybe you've prayed this phrase before? And the phrase is, Father, lead us not into temptation. Have you ever heard of that or prayed that? Um, have you ever heard someone tell you you should pray that? And maybe you're hearing you're like, I've never even heard that once in my life. You need to know we're thrilled that you're with us because this is what we're going to talk about today. And as we think about this phrase, lead us not in temptation, here, here's the question that bounces around in my mind. What leads us into temptation? Or who leads us into temptation? But maybe for me, the bigger question is, do I lead me into temptation because that is often our story when we look back in temptation in our lives I led myself straight into it and it's so interesting right because 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up on the planet I mean like he laid low for 30 years and about 30 years he went public with who he was and he started to invite people and this was the invitation Jesus would invite people to over and over and over Jesus would say follow me Follow me and I'm going to lead you in another way. I'm going to lead you to a better way. And it's so interesting because when he would follow me, the, the question would be, where are we going, Jesus? Where are we going? And he would lead them in a good direction. But the bigger question is, Jesus, if I'm going to follow you, what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our behavior? What are we doing with our ethics? And here's the, here's the challenging part. When you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus would ask so much of his followers that by the time he reached the cross, almost no one was following him. It's so interesting. He's hanging on the cross, and all, even his 12 guys that were so faithful and close to him, they all abandoned him. They all denied him. But when he rose from the grave, they all started to re-follow. And not just by tens and twelves numbers of people, but by hundreds and then thousands of people begin to follow. And you know this because we said this. If you can predict your death and then raise yourself from the dead, you're a person worth following. And then these followers took this Jesus ethic into the world and it changed the world and they brought the kingdom of heaven on this earth and it was an ethic of love and generosity and caring for people that were often neglected by, by um, the world. Now here's the amazing thing. This was the invitation, follow, follow, follow. And this is gonna be the invitation for today. But guys like me, church leaders and pastors and priests and bishops, they realized it's really too hard to ask people to follow Jesus because the standard's so high. And so the church leaders along the way kind of changed the message from follow Jesus to believe in Jesus or believe in me. That's what we would like to quote most. And this is an important thing to believe in Jesus, but it's so much easier than following Jesus, isn't it? It's less demanding. The, the most popular scripture that people put on their arms through tattoos and nicks and wherever else that they hide that I don't want to know about because we have tattoos everywhere, right? Is what? It's John three sixteen. We all love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if we would believe, and that's the word, we would believe, and that's really important. Do you know what almost no one tattoos on their body is Matthew sixteen twenty four, where Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple or follower must deny themselves. Quick poll, if you're willing to admit you have a tattoo, anybody have this verse tattooed on your body anywhere? Anybody just going to say, yeah, I'll let you come up and finish the message if you do? Anybody? Anybody? No, nobody has this. You know why? And I wouldn't put this on my body either because of the thought of denying myself, saying no to me, 
I don't want to tattoo that on my body. I just want to believe because if I just say believe, it's so much simpler and so much easier. And we've taken this beautiful message of follow me and we just reduced it only to believe in me. Now, this is still really important, but it keeps us from getting you know, as close and as changed as God would want us to be. And here's what happens when we decide, I'm just going to believe. I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. I'm just going to believe. Then we think, I'm going to live just a little bit better, right? I'm going to have a little bit better life and everything's just going to be fine. But the danger with that for all of us, and I certainly can live in this space, is we become consumers, not followers. Now, before I just go too far down this path, I have to say I have never been part of a church that has decided not to be consumers like this church. The amount of people that serve and give and love and sacrifice is overwhelming to me. But wouldn't we admit we all have the potential to fall into consumerism as Christians as opposed to a follower. And Jesus said, I didn't come here to lead in just consuming. I came to lead into following. I never called you to pray that way. You see, we're in part three of this series called Grown Up Prayers. And maybe you grew up praying. Maybe someone taught you to pray growing up. Maybe you've never prayed until the last couple weeks because this is a new thought for you. But you need to know when Jesus was on the planet, his followers watched him and they were like, you know what? We're praying wrong. Jesus has got something going on that he's praying better than we are and we need to learn from him. We're not doing it, right? So they approached Jesus and said, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We've been praying our whole life, but we want to learn grown-up prayers. Have you ever asked someone to teach you how to pray? They asked Jesus to do this. And what Jesus says is a little offensive because he's simply saying, you guys have been praying wrong. I'm not mad at you about it. I'm not going to scold you. I just want you to understand the right perspective of this. Now, as we walk through this today, as we have this whole series, if you're not a Jesus follower and faith is new to you, you're going to get some tips about learning to pray that's going to be super helpful. So I want you to pay attention to that. But if you're a Christian like me, if you're a follower of Jesus, boy, this is what we do. And this is how we approach God. Because Jesus says, when you pray. In other words, this is your marching order. And we said this last week. This is not just how to pray. Although you're not here to pray to impress God. I mean, nothing annoys me more when you get someone like me and Mike and we decide I am putting on a prayer show, everybody. Look at how I can throw my voice and inject my feelings and put all that out there. Here's the deal you need to know. Some of the most simple praying people that I've ever met in my life, simple prayers, are the most faithful followers of Jesus I've ever met. And you don't have to repeat, repeat your prayers in Babylon and Babylon because what we're really doing when we do that is we're trying to get God's attention and convince them. God, I need you to do this for my kids or my family or whatever it means. And Jesus knew that about all of us. So let me just relieve some of the tension, maybe for you, if you missed last week. He said, you don't need to do that. You need to babble on because your father in heaven, he knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that amazing? And he's a good father and he loves you. To which we would say, okay, Jesus, if this is true, why do I even pray? Why do I even talk to you? And this is where Jesus has us. Because it's not just how to pray, it's really why to pray. And it's certainly not because we need to inform God of our needs. He already knows. But you can tell him your needs, that's great. The reason we pray and talk to God, or the purpose of prayer, is to align our will with God's will. Isn't that interesting? To align our will with God's will. God, 
I've decided that you're the Lord of my life and I want to go where you go. I want to, this is a big word for all of us. I want to surrender to you. Now, this is a little bit serious and heavy today. I just want to give you a heads up whether you're online or in the room. At the end of this message, I'm just going to invite anybody in this place. This is kind of an important deal. That has never or you need to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do that. And surrendering simply says, God, I want to align my will with yours. Either I never have or I've been resistant lately, I want to align my will with yours. And I'm telling you that ahead of time to give you a precursor to be thinking about how that looks in your life. Because when you read the Gospels, people surrendered to Jesus. Some people, like the American version of Christianity, often they decide to make it a consumer thing. Like, I'm going to try and get God to surrender my will, or I'm going to use Jesus for me and what I want versus the other way around. And do you know the person that, like, shines in that role in the New Testament? It's Judas, right? You know the story of Judas. If you don't, he was a follower of Jesus that wanted Jesus to do his bidding, not the other way around. And it went bad for Judas in all kinds of ways. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Judas. And I don't want any of us to be in that mode of operation where we're hypocrites around this. So Jesus is, continues on trying to get people to understand this. And remember, Jesus or Judas heard this teaching and ignored it. So let's not ignore it today. That would be really good. He says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talked about this. That you start out your prayer addressing God as Father. And the idea of you're a great big God, hallowed be thy name. You're both infinite and you're personal in the same way. You're infinite and intimate. You're glorious and you're wonderful, but you're close and you're near. And you can't rush past this. And here's why you can't rush past this. When we say, God, you're glorious, you're big, you're wonderful, you created everything, including me. The reason you can't rush past it, because what Jesus asks next is surrender. And we got to realize that we are surrendering to a great big God of glory and wonder that's deserving of our lives. He said, how will be their name? Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, but your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will right now in my family, your will in my marriage, by the way, anybody struggling with marriage? Do you, have you thought about maybe part of the problem is your problem? God, your will be done in my marriage, in me in that, in my kids, in my finances. God, I got this little bit of money and I think it's all mine. God, your will be done in my money, in my ethics. I'm hiding a secret. God, your will be done. This is the surrenders that Christians do that sets them so very free. All my plans. And if, if you get like stuck here and like you can't get passes, get stuck here. This is a beautiful place to get stuck. God, I don't know if I want to give you all of my stuff or all my will or all of my plans. Get stuck here and struggle with it. I think the reason sometimes I struggle with being obedient is I, I don't stay here long enough. God, am I really willing Am I really willing to say whatever you want I'm going to do? And that's a hard thing, and I don't do that well all the time. But to walk in that direction is powerful. And then Jesus gives us the pivot. And he says this, after all this, give us today. Now, this is where when I have read this prayer for years, I think, oh, finally. Come on, finally. Finally, I get something, right? I'm supposed to give everything to God, align my will with God. Now I'm going to give something. And I'm thinking about new golf clubs, Jesus. That's really what I, you know, I'm really interested in that. Now give me, you know, 
happy kids. Anybody ever pray for happy kids? That's an important prayer. Give me you know, less debt, whatever it is. And then we find as we walk through these the last couple of weeks, what we ask God to give us are three surrenders in our life. And the three surrenders is where we surrender to Jesus, our provision, our pardon, and our protection. Because the first thing he says under our provision is give us today our daily bread. And, and in the world we live in, that can feel like a weak prayer, doesn't it? Like we should have more faith. Like God, don't just give me daily bread, but give me you know, enough bread for a thousand years. Make me rich and prosperous. Because that's the message that we think we deserve as Christians in America. But he just says, give, some, give us our daily bread. Give me enough today that I'm dependent upon you when I wake up. Now we all have so much more than that for the most part, but isn't that a powerful prayer? God, I'm waking up today and I know I got three meals ahead of me and I'm probably gonna drive a car to work and it's all gonna be good and I'm gonna sit in a church with big screens and that's, but God, 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 come on, come on, come on. Let me depend upon you. Let me know where all this comes from. Let me be close to your heart. That's the reason we pray that prayer. And then, and then we pray for pardon. Before I read this, I have to say this because you may have been here last week. You know when you get older, it seems like there's more things you have to ask forgiveness for, right? And one of the things I always do before I get up on stage is you know, check my hair and my shirt and I make sure everything is zipped up. I just want you to know that that's my deal. Um, last week, luckily I wore an out untucked shirt because at the end of the first service last week, not everything was zipped up. So I'm confessing my sin to you and asking you for pardon. But that's why I wear untucked shirts and it looks, makes my waistline look better. Anyway, okay, that has nothing to do with the message today. I just thought I, it feels better to get that off my chest. All right, pardon, pardon, pardon. So we say to God, all right, God, forgive. Forgive our debts, forgive our sins, forgive what we've done wrong. But here's the catch, and this was a big deal for some of us last week. As we have forgiven our debtors, here's the catch. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't ask God to forgive you if you're not willing to forgive other people. It's a hypocritical thing, and we've got to stop being hypocrites. Because if you ask God to forgive you and you still haven't forgiven someone else, then you got to go back again and ask God to forgive you for not forgiving other people the way he has forgiven you. So just start to forgive. And that's not like a one prayer process for some of us, but it's a path. It's a journey of letting go and forgiving. And then it's for this idea of protection. Lead us not into temptation. Now, I want to personalize this because this is where we are going today. So I want to make this as personal as we can when we read this. And lead me not into temptation. So I have a question around this idea of temptation that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Do you ever pray this prayer? God, lead me not into temptation. We all have all kinds of interesting prayers, don't we? Like, God, help me get a parking spot. Help it not to rain today. Help my kids get a job. Help me be okay with my finances. Do you ever just say, God, lead me not into temptation? You know where there's power in this prayer? We're going to come back to this. There's power in this prayer. It's almost impossible to ask God not to lead you into temptation when you're leading yourself into temptation. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you can do it. We call it being a hypocrite, but it's really hard to do. When you get on your knees, you say, God, lead me not to temptation. And you're thinking, oh, but I am leading myself right into temptation myself. It does something in our hearts. And that's where Jesus whispers, I love you. I love you. But I don't want you to lead yourself down this path. And Jesus just knew this. 
And the reason we can have such confidence when Jesus says this is something that the writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus reflecting back on his life. He says, this is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest or a Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. This is huge because you may have read the stories of Jesus being tempted in the, de- in the desert by the evil one in three specific ways. He says, in every way, though, that you have been tempted, so was Jesus. He has gone through everything you and I have gone through. As we are yet, he did not sin. And in light of that, this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says, in light of that, let us approach God's throne of grace. Let us come to God with confidence that we're forgiven, but also that we can resist something, that we can resist temptation like Jesus did. Not maybe perfectly, but we have the ability to resist if we follow Jesus, so that may we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, here's my question around this. This is a big deal. I told you this is not going to be light this morning. When you're tempted... And I'm tempted, because we're all tempted. Here's the question. Do we ask God for mercy and grace not to be led towards that temptation? Do we ask God, God, in light of who you are and your glory and your beauty, and you've asked me to follow you, Jesus, will you give me the strength and grace not to walk down that path? Or do we do what's so easy for all Christians to do and go with the sin now and ask forgiveness later method? You ever do that? You ever live that way? I have. I'm going to sin now and ask for forgiveness later. I was talking to my daughter, Megan, about this yesterday. And she goes, Dad, that, that's kind of your motto. You know, um, ask for permission later. and ask, you know, ask for forgiveness is easier than to ask for permission. That's my motto. Did some of you ask for permission? No, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness because I like to get done what I want to get done. But when it comes to God, this is a bad path. And here's why this is a bad path. It assumes the absolute worst about our Heavenly Father. You know what it assumes when we decide, I'm just going to sin now, do whatever I want, and ask forgiveness later, whether at church or when I go to bed or whatever that. It assumes that our Heavenly Father is gullible. It assumes that he's stupid. It assumes that he's a cleaning product just to clear our conscience. That's all he's here for. It reduces God to the bare minimum. And... And that God, that God doesn't exist. And we treat God like a God that does not exist. This is not a God that we want to say, hallowed be your name. Just forgive me later for what I'm about to do today. I got no obedience. I'm not, I'm just going to do me, do what I want. And don't care who it hurts, but I'll ask forgiveness later. That's not a God worth worshiping or singing to, or giving your money to, or giving your life to. That is a God that's just here for our pleasure. Imagine a God that's way better than that. Imagine a God that calls you to follow him and lay yourself down to find a better life. Because when we do this, it leads to one place. I'm telling you, 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 you'll be forgiven. You can find forgiveness and you can have a clear conscience for a moment, but you will have a lifetime of regret that follows you. And we've all experienced this. Oh, I'm so glad I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And this is the language we use. I'm so glad I'm forgiven and going to heaven. And let me tell you, you can be forgiven for whatever you've done. But now you've got a bucket load of regret and pain 
And there's people that won't talk to you anymore. And there's broken relationships. And it's all because we decided, we decided to treat God like he was a senile God that doesn't really care what we do. He just, he just forgives and clears our conscience. And here's what I want you to know. This is what Jesus told us in light of temptation. You have a father in heaven who is not senile. He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's hallowed. And he does not wink at our sin like, hey, that's okay. Huh, it's okay, I got it. I see it, but I'm no big deal. He, cares, he loves you enough to do something about it. As a dad, when my kids were young, the hardest thing that I ever did with my children is when they would do something that crossed a line we decided it's not okay to cross, like disrespect their mama or lie to one of us. You can't lie, you can't disrespect your mama, you can't hurt your brother or sister, you can't take what's not yours. And I would have to go, okay, now to one of my children, I need you to go, I need you to go into your bedroom and wait. And then I would let them wait for 10, 15, 30 minutes because I wanted to make sure I was as cooled down as I can be. Young parents, you know what I'm talking about, that place where, man, your fuse is lit and you're ready to go, right? No, no, you don't, I don't never do that. Tried never to do it. You send one of your kids to the room and it, you let them wait <laughs> in excruciating pain, which is always a great strategy make sure I'm cool. And then I would go into their bedroom and I would sit down with them and explain to them why we can't do this, why God doesn't want us to do this. And why now you have to be disciplined for your actions because I knew that those actions would take my children on a predictable path that I did not want them to go on. I was not going to just wink at some of that stuff for them because I, I love them. And I discipline them. And I'm not going to tell you how I disciplined them because I don't want 10 emails from the people that disagreed the way I disciplined. So I'm not telling you that. But my kids had a father that loved them. Not a perfect father, but I had a father that loved them and I would discipline my kids. And your heavenly father loves you so much he doesn't want you to have a truckload of regret in your life. He wants you to follow him. And he won't always wink at it. Sometimes he would discipline us to bring us back. And that's why Jesus was saying, like, when you pray, all you've got, ask, lead, lead us not into temptation. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I want this for you so bad. And then he says, but, but deliver us from evil right now. And this takes us right back to this idea of surrender. God, I, I literally am going to surrender my life to you. The Christian faith, and this is the challenge with the Christian faith, the Christian faith does not work without surrender because when we accept forgiveness but don't surrender, it just makes us hypocrites. And this is the invitation from God out of danger into a better world. See, what happens sometimes is we decide I'm, gonna pay, I'm not going to pay any attention to danger and evil and I'm going to let myself be tempted and run in those ways. Now think about this for all of us, me included, because I could tell you some stories. And then bad things happen in our lives and there's regret and there's pain and broken relationships. And then we turn around and we blame God for how messed up our lives are. And we can't figure out how such a bad thing could happen to us. But I led many of the times, not every time, but many times, I've led myself right to exactly where I end up. And so my question for myself and you is simply this. What leads or who leads or why do you and I lead ourselves into temptation, into regret, 
over and over and over and over again. And it's often for many of us the same temptation and the same regret. And think about, you know, like the things that we think as really bad sins and go to second level things like fear. It leads us into fear. That's where we lead ourselves. I, I don't want more fear in my life. Temptation and evil brings more insecurity. I do not need any more insecurity in my life that's already in this world. And jealousy, are you kidding? I don't want to compare myself to anybody else, but I lead myself there over and over. And I can believe the worst about people. That's a consequence of this. And I have anxiety, and you can have anxiety, and there's not peace in any way. And then you just jump to you know what maybe some of us would call level one sins like lust and anger and murder and all those things. And all of those things that are evil and dark and unhealthy for us, I think most of them circle around these two words, protection and gratification. Because when we're led by protection and gratification, we are not led in the best direction. These two leaders will hurt you every time. Now here's what's interesting. What's a challenge for all of us, all of us need protection, right? And all of us need some kind of gratification. We all need to protect it. No one wants to run their car off a road because their brakes don't work. And we all need to eat lunch at some point. Like hopefully for me, it'd be 12, 15 as soon as I walk off the stage. But we all need gratification. But these are poor leaders and they will lead us into hard places when they become the center of our lives. Because these are appetites. Things that we want to satisfy. I want to satisfy my own need for protection and my own need for gratification over and over. And we said this throughout the years that appetites, think about it, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. You have an appetite. You have the best dinner you've ever had. You think I'll never eat again in the morning. You're going to want to eat again. Think about that for protection. You need to be protected. But when my whole life is circled around protecting myself and I'm led in that direction, my whole life becomes around Matt. And maybe the two or three people that are in my life and in my family or maybe my 10 family members, but everybody outside of that, they're the enemy. They're not ours. And now I've led myself down a dark road and gratification. Oh my gosh. If I could just talk to the men for a minute, our ability to self-gratify ourselves in 10 different directions How many more stories do we have to see about how we blow up our lives, men, with us? And women, I'm sure you have your version of this. I just don't know what it is, men. I can just talk to you about this. But when my life becomes all about me, we eventually ask this challenging question. Why Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why did I wake up this morning? Is it just for more protection More self-gratification, and that goes well for a while, but at some point, I mean, why am I here? I want to know why I'm here. So I'll know why I'm here. People are waking up every day of their lives like, why am I here? Why am I here? What do I exist? What's my purpose? In fact, I think there's this interesting phenomenon happening in America right now. People are quitting their jobs by the droves. And I mean, high paying, great jobs because they're like, is it really just about getting a paycheck? And I'm not saying anybody should quit your job, but I think people are asking this question right now more than ever. I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to know why I'm here. And the better question, the Jesus question is who am I here for? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? I want to know why I'm here. Who? am I here for? 
Because when you find out who you're here for, it opens up a world that's bigger and more beautiful and wonderful than anything in your life. Because you realize my life is on opposite of just being about me. Judas learned the hard way that when your whole life is about you, you do not have a meaningful life. And when I'm the means to the end of my life, in other words, when I live for myself so much that I'm the means to my own end, at the end, I'll find out I have nothing to show for it. But when I live for something bigger and better and more beautiful, there's substance and purpose in it. And Jesus modeled this. It's not like Jesus said, follow me, and then you go do all the hard work, and I'll sit on my high throne, and I'll cheer you on from afar. This is what we know about Jesus that called us to follow him. He said, just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, I'm giving everything for you guys. At the point where he was at his most powerful on earth, he washed his disciples' feet, and then he hung on a cross. This is how it looks. And then he rose from the dead in all of his glory. And when I become small and Jesus becomes big in my life, that is where I find purpose. So if you ever hear someone say, or you say yourself, there has to be more to life than this, maybe what we're all really saying is there has to be more to life than me. And that's where we come back to this prayer. Deliver me from evil, Jesus. But your kingdom come. And let Matt's kingdom fade away. Your kingdom come. And let Matt's desire to rule his own life ease up. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. Because he's a better Lord. He's a better leader than I am of my own life. And I'll just be bold to say it, than you are of your own life too. And if you don't believe, I don't expect you just to buy into all of that, but you should think about that because I bet you've asked the question, is there more to life than this? And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is where we go and this is what we do and this is how we find joy and love and mercy in our lives. And we get back to this original invitation of follow, 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 not just believe, because just believe, it can lead us to a counterfeit version of the faith that's supposed to be so beautiful because follow does something in us. And if you read the scriptures, if you haven't, you should check this out. Jesus' own brother James says this, that faith, belief without works is almost like a dead faith. Sure, you get forgiven. Hey, you'll even get into heaven. That's awesome. But you'll spend 80 years of your life wasting your life. So let the faith God has given us do something in us. Jesus said in another place, those that hear what I say but don't do it are like people that build their life on sand. And when the water comes and washes away the sand, they're looking around like, why did everything fall apart? I took notes and I heard and I I listened, but I didn't do any of it. And everything just kind of got washed away. I'm forgiven, that's awesome. But I want to be a part of something that's good and beautiful. And Jesus says, follow me. And I love this thought because I will not lead you into temptation. I'll lead you away from it. There's no chasing the wind because I love you so much. I want you to experience my kingdom. It's so much better than just believe. And then Jesus would say something. If you, if you need to know how to tease this out or work with this or you know, live it out in your whole life, he, he would tell his followers this as the glass greatest commandment. He would say, this is how you follow me. As I have 
loved you. And remember, this is in light of, I went to the cross and I gave up everything for you. That's how I loved you and forgave you and served you as I have loved you. This is so incredible. So you must love one another. You want purpose in your life? You want to lead yourself away from temptation? As I have loved you, love one another. And you need to know that this is the message that got us through the first hundred years of the church. Before all the scriptures were put together and complete, before pastors had microphones and cool screens, before we had great bands, the thing that made the church work when the church had no power is they would walk out in the streets. Oh, guys, come on. If we could just catch this, it would change our lives They'd walk out in the streets and in their homes and they would just love. And when they, they couldn't stand somebody, they'd think, wait a minute, as he loved me when we abandoned him on the cross, okay, marching orders, I'm gonna love. When I'm tired, I don't feel like it, I'm gonna love. When I'm broke and I don't feel like anybody's for me, I'm gonna love. I'm just gonna choose to do this. Love, my friends, is the opposite of temptation. Because when I love, I'm not gonna hurt the people in my life. When I love, I'm not going to go against what my heavenly father asked me to do. I'm going to pray this prayer with everything I have. And Jesus, lead me, heavenly father, lead me not into temptation, but to deliver me from evil. Can I ask you a question? And I'm not mad at anybody in this place or anybody online. This is a question for me because I'm in the trenches with you trying to live this out too. It's so very challenging, but it's so very good. Have you surrendered to this? Have you surrendered your will to this? Or or have we just breezed past this and, hey, thanks for the forgiveness. The price is too high, Jesus. I don't want to go down this road. I want my life to be around you. Here's the other question. Have you ever prayed this and then said yes to temptation at the same time? Jesus would say there is a better life in temptation. Temptation is the threshold to loss. Temptation is inviting as it is on the front end, is the threshold to loss. But choosing to follow Jesus is the threshold to life. Where we get to look in the mirror and say, God, change me. And then look at God and say, I love you. And look at my neighbor, whether I like him or not, and say, I'm going to try and love you too. I will never dishonor another person if I can help it. Because I love. Remember the purpose of prayer from the very beginning? The purpose of prayer, the purpose of this whole thing is to align our will, my will, to God, not just receiving, not just getting, not just getting God to do what I want him to do, but look, God, I literally want to go where you want me to go. That is the invitation for today. And that is the invitation. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to surrender to. But before we do, I just want to walk through this incredible, beautiful prayer one more time. And I want to say this in light of all these ideas that we're not here to change God's mind. If you have pain, If you have a hope, if you have a dream, bring them to God and tell God all about it because he loves you and know that he already knows, but he wants to hear from you. So here it is. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us, not in temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. And then there's a super famous ending. I just, just a point. It's not in the original manuscript. Somewhere along the line, when you read it, you just need to know it's been added along the way early, early, early in the church. But it's so beautiful. I think you should go ahead and say it because it is wonderful. Let's just say this together. Ready? Put it up there. Ready? One, two, three. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that cool? So if I was going to make it a simple summary, and you might want to pull out your phone and take a picture of this, because I think this summary is super helpful, that when you pray here, it's just a summary. Because remember, this is not a prayer just to repeat and read. This is a pattern of how we should walk through our prayers. Address God as Father and declare his greatness. Surrender your will. Acknowledge your dependence for provision, pardon, and protection. And when you bring that to God, it doesn't change God. It changes you and it changes me in the most beautiful kind of way. It's incredible. Now, here's how we're going to end. I decided I've been praying about this since about five o'clock this morning. I'm going to give everyone in this place and online an invitation to surrender to God. And maybe you don't need to. Maybe you're like, Matt, I'm surrendered. I'm in. And maybe you're like, oh, but I have surrendered somehow to God, but I just find myself, I've taken the reins back in my own life. And I need to tell God, God, I'm opening up my hands back to you and your will in my life. But maybe for some of you, you have never said to Jesus, here's my life, take it. It's for you, not for me anymore. You are my Lord and my Savior. And if you're in this place in any kind of way, here's the invitation in any kind of way, and you're just like, you know what, I need to surrender to Jesus today. Would you just stand up right now and say, God, I need to surrender to you? Right now, anybody? And just say, I'm in, I'm publicly declaring my need to surrender, thank you for that. Anybody else? Got that, guys, appreciate that. I know it's a little nerve-wracking, appreciate that. Oh man, I know, I know. I stood up five times on my own today because I realized we all need that. There is no judgment here because the guy on stage has already surrendered, needed to do this this morning, just so you know. And if you're standing and you're for the first time saying to Jesus, here's my life, this is a really important moment. So everybody else in the room, join them. Let's all stand together. Can we do that? And let's pray together. Now, whether you stood the first time or not, just you're, you're invited to say this prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm giving my life to yours. I realize I need you to lead me out of temptation because I'm a broken, sinful person. Forgive me for my sins of my past. Help me to forgive other people. But God, today, lead me not into temptation. I'm praying that, knowing that as I ask that, I'm not going to lead myself into temptation. But I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Here is my life. I put my faith in you that you died for me to have a relationship with me forever. And thank you for being my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Um, I didn't want us to play a song to that. I didn't want to get hyped up about that. I didn't make it over emotional. So I just thank you for participating. But when people surrender their lives to God, I think it is such an amazing thing. Would you do this? Just give God and everybody that stood up a great big hand and just appreciate that, will you? All right.
Guys, thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. You are dismissing. God bless you.